The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Well, I tried, folks. I did what Brandon told me to do. Powering vitamin C into my system and attempting to rest, but who the hell can rest nowadays? We all have too many damn things to do. You know where this is going, don't you? Yeah, Dan's sick again. I got a cold. I'll be okay. Don't worry. Don't cry for me. But bear with me here. I don't have my normal range of excitement. I don't know. Someone told me on Twitter that I sounded tired on a show earlier this week, and that's this. This is what... You know, I almost made it two full months. I was sick in November. I got sick again in December. I did not get sick in January. And I almost made it through February. But not quite. But it's just a cold, I think. I know everybody's in full panic over the coronavirus. I don't have that. I don't think. I think I'd be in much more shape. It's Friday. It's a weekend edition as well of Fantasy NBA Today. We'll carry you through into our Monday show. I am Dan Vespers. At Dan Bespris on Twitter, for those of you that are newer to the proceedings, at D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S on social media. This is a HoopBall presentation, hoop-ball.com, also brought to you in part by our buddies over at mybookie.ag. What do we normally do on the Friday show? Well, this is the Week in Review episode. We'll take a look, and I've, I've broken it down differently now than I did Earlier in the season, first some 13, 14 weeks, I think we exclusively on Friday shows did key pickups, drops, watch list guys, streamer types, but we're past that now. And now it's just hot topics of the week because there's going to be guys flipping on and off of your waiver wire. This is this is roster churn time to be sure, regardless of what format you're in. Everybody is hunting something and there's so many injuries right now as well. So, we make a podcast pivot. We're doing the hot topics of the week, is our weekend review. I think I've got, uh, I don't know, about 15 of them. Well, that'll carry us through. That's plenty of stuff to go over. And this is what I pulled by looking at every game that happened Monday through Thursday. We can do a quick Thursday review, but I think a lot of the stuff that happened on the Thursday slate, the four games on, uh, on Thursday night, we're going to hit on in our hot topic. So what I'd like to do here, with or without your blessing, I suppose, is go through the hot topics, set up our weekend preview, because with a lot of these teams, there's additional information we require before making a final determination on something. And then if there's anything in there, and I'll, I'll figure this out as we go a little bit, because these shows are mostly, they're partially scripted. You know, we have an idea of where we want to take it. But if there's anything else that happened on Thursday that didn't really get covered in the hot topics, I can I can rotate back around to it. But I'm not I'm not super concerned about that. I think we're gonna I think we're gonna be able to knock it out. Let's dive right on. First of all, uh, big thank you to our guests this week. We had some really fun shows. Uh, Josh Millman coming on doing a little Scissor Day. Brandon Marcus. This has been I think a really informative week on Fantasy NBA Today. We've made a nice turn towards the looming playoffs for many of you. They are right around the corner. Hot topics over the week. First one I want to talk about is a player that's actually coming back from injury, we think. I'm using the Brandon Marcus corollary here. 
But Norman Powell was upgraded from who the hell knows to questionable. There was never really any doubtful tags in Toronto. They've been doing this out indefinitely stuff all season long, and then all of a sudden guys just are ready to go. And that's what seems to have happened here. All of Out of the blue, on Thursday afternoon, we got a report that Norman Powell had practiced, and then Friday morning he was upgraded to questionable. And Brandon, and generally, correctly, has noted that when guys get upgraded to questionable from doubtful or out, it's generally a good sign. So we'll see if he plays in Toronto's ballgame tonight. If he doesn't, they're hosting Charlotte. If he doesn't, it's probably damn soon. I would think within their next two ballgames, but maybe you get him back tonight. Here's where all of that leaves us, since he is our first hot topic, because he's one of the only guys that's actually returning from being hurt here. Everybody else is just getting hurt. I see no reason not to pick him up. His injury was to a finger, which of course means that he's been able to keep his conditioning. They don't need to have a minute's cap on him for any reason in particular. And they might, he might not play a truckload of minutes. Remember, when this team was fully healthy last time around, he was still seeing in the neighborhood, and it fluctuated a little bit. It was anywhere from, I think his low water mark when the team was healthy was about 24 minutes, and the high water mark was about 30. He wasn't really splitting the difference. We can't say the average was 27 there. There were more games that were in the 25, 26 range than there were 29 or 30 when the team was healthy. So I think you can probably assume he'll get around 25 or 26 minutes. Let's call it 25 with the team healthy around him. And he was still putting up more than enough fantasy value, particularly in nine cat formats where his turnovers are pretty low. His steals have been exceptional this year. And the big thing with Norman Powell that I admit I wasn't super excited about his fantasy prospects this season is that last year he played 60 games and his percentages were pretty dang good. I kind of wrote that off as guy gets to play against second units, has good shooting season. Well, it's translated to the higher volume this season around. Last year he shot 48% from the field, but it was only on six and a half shots a game. So he could have just gotten lucky. This year... He's shooting 49.5% on 11 shots per game. Volume's gone up. Percentage has gone up. He's still shooting 40% from downtown, 84 at the free throw line, and gets you a nice steals. He is, you guys know the Dan stats, both percentages, steals, and blocks. This is, I think, the new wave of cash counting stuff. Well, it's not cash counting because only two of those are counting stats, but I call them the Dan cash stats. Or we'll come up with a way better name than that because that one's incredibly stupid. Those are the ones I love the most in Roto. Because people don't focus on him. It's the fastest way to pile up 40 points in a Roto League. Where people are just not really competing with you the way they would in other categories. Now, admittedly, he doesn't block shots. But three out of four of Dan's favorite stats, that's good. He didn't look like he was going to be that guy last year. Yeah, the free throw percentage was good, but he's only taken one a game. Yeah, the field goal percent was pretty good, but again, his volume was low. He wasn't playing very much, but the big leap this year has turned both of his percentages from fine, like there were positives, but they weren't really impact positives. They are impact positives now. And it's why he's ranked as high as he is despite not putting up eye-popping numbers. His popcorn stuff, his counting things, 
are 15 points, four boards, one and a half assists. That's not very good. That's actually about neutral in scoring. It's a negative in rebounding. It's a negative in passing. But what he's done is he's made himself an impact positive in both percentages. He's good with turnovers. Those are low. He's good with steals. And two three-pointers a game is also a, a slight positive as well. So suddenly he's now five out of nine categories. He's a positive, and he's neutral in one, and he's only a negative in three. That's a mild negative. It's not like a tank negative. So he's number 60. Now, that's in 28 minutes because a lot of his action came, and really the wake-up call for Powell came when Lowry went out, and then when Van Vliet went out, it extended his shelf life. Those two guys are playing right now which is why his minutes are going to be more like 25, which he just takes away from guys like Thomas and Davis and so forth. The game where he got hurt, which no one even really knew what happened, he played 29 minutes, had 12-7 and seven with three steals and a block on 6 out of 13 shooting, and missed all four of his free three-pointers, so it could have been even better. So this is a guy that's in perfectly good position to help you in five of nine categories. And in Roto, they are particularly helpful. So, with that in mind, picking them up. So there you go. I know people think that there's, there's some downside here. And there is. Maybe he doesn't get back to where he was before. Maybe it disrupts him. But, I mean, he looked fine in that last ball game, didn't he? Mitchell Robinson is the next guy I want to talk about. And this is really not much, not something you can do a whole lot about. I just think he's been really good lately. And deserves credit for being really good lately. Mitchell Robinson is number 52 on the season now. And over the last month, by average, he's been number 36. And since the All-Star break, he's been inside the top 30. This is why all season long we just kept saying bye, 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 bye. It's been amazing. Since the All-Star break, he's blocked 15 shots in four games. 15 shots in four games. He's shooting 80% over that stretch. Can't hit a free throw. I mean, if he made even half of his free throws, he'd be even higher. This is what we talked about with him. He has the potential to be a second or third round guy when he's playing decent minutes. And he's been in the mid to high 20s lately. Stay on the floor. Good things happen. Maybe even getting healthy. There's nothing you can do about it. I just hope we all bought. I never paid enough for him. Anybody that I was trying to pry him off of, they were like, nah, man. We listen to your podcast. We know you want this guy. I got to do these. I got to make these moves before I start talking about him. New rule. I'm not going to play with anybody who's listening to my damn show. Well, I know I'm complaining over here. Uh, Shake Milton is the next guy I wanted to talk about. He's on the list of interesting things from this week. Also of note, and we can tie this into one story. Joel Embiid got a pretty good report by all accounts on his injured shoulder. They are reviewing... In one week. One week. That's pretty good. Considering when it happened, I know for me personally, my initial inclination was to think, this is this going to be like Rashawn Holmes all over again, where they say two to three weeks, and then it's another two to three weeks, and all of a sudden it's been two months. And it could be still. But the fact that they're even going to check it out in one week is a good sign that they don't think it's a long-term deal. I mean, if they were trying to hide something, I, I think they would have said two, three, something like that, reevaluation two, three weeks. Like with all these sprained knees, they kind of want to figure out how things are going. One week is short. If he's feeling better in a week, 
you might just dodge a bullet here. But what does that mean for Shake Milton then? Obviously, his usage is not going to be anywhere near as high as it is in the games where Embiid got hurt. Milton's going to play. There's no question about it. And I said it either, I can't remember if it was yesterday or the day before, where I said if he's going to, if he scores a bunch of points, he's going to get picked up everywhere. This was a guy that I was hoping to have a little wait and see approach, and then he rattled off nine three pointers in two games in a row. So that pretty much blew up that strategy. And it largely means that I'm not going to get too many Shake Miltons on my rosters. That's just something that I had to come to, come to terms with because I wanted to see what his role was going to look like. He's a very hot ad. He's went from 1% ownership to 20% ownership in, in the last 48 hours, which is an enormous deal. There's also a lot of stuff related to his recent play that's unsustainable. We have to be pragmatic about the whole thing. I'm not trying to rain on the parade here. You know, he's number 26 over the last week because he's shooting 60% with four three-pointers, and he's averaging a block a game, 16-3-4 and four with half a steal, a block, one turnover, and those numbers? Yeah, that ain't going to stick. He's not going to shoot 60% with four three-pointers a game. That just doesn't happen. Has never happened and will probably never happen. Could he stay hot for a few more games? Yeah, sure, why not? Also of note, it's not like he's ever really been a big shot blocker in his brief NBA stay. The fact that he has four blocks in three games is notable because he hadn't blocked a shot in multiple months. New Year's Eve was his last blocked shot. And I know what you're thinking. Dan, did he just not play during that stretch? Why, no, he actually did. He didn't play for about two weeks after New Year's Eve, but starting in late January, a little bit over a month ago, he's been sitting in that 20, 20 to 25-minute range. Remember, Josh Richardson went out, and Milton ended up playing quite a few minutes. Didn't block a shot in any of those ball games. So don't expect that to continue. Don't expect him to five for five, three points. I mean, he shot six for seven in that ball game on Thursday night. So there's a lot of unsustainable stuff happening here. The question is, how long can he keep it up? And beyond that, is there enough usage available when Embiid comes back, even if Simmons is still out? You could compare it, I think, a little bit to those games he was logging 25 minutes when Richardson was out. And miss, other guys missed a game here and there during that stretch. But he was much more in the 10-point range, four-ish rebounds, three assists, a steal, a three-pointer, maybe a little bit more than that. That, to me, is not going to get it done. He, he'll do it now. There's plenty to go around when both Simmons and Embiid are gone. There's usage for days. Tobias Harris is going to go bananas for the next few games. It's his offense by all accounts. And Milton's going to be right there beside him. He and Josh Richardson, those three guys, are going to be doing a lot of the stuff, and Al Horford's going to be doing a lot of the facilitating for this team. So, yeah, sure, if you want to stream Milton here for a week while Embiid is out, I'm all for it. But be aware that he slides back into a just-outside-the-top-100 valuation, most likely when one of those two guys is back, and then becomes largely fantasy irrelevant when they're both back, if Simmons does return at some point later this year. So I think this is a little bit more of a shorter-term thing, but I totally agree. You could also be looking at one of those situations where you pick a guy up for a stream, and then maybe someone else gets hurt, or he holds on to more of a role than he had beforehand. So it could stick, kinda. I'll give it the kinda stick. 
Am I racing out to pick him up everywhere? No. I'd, I'd far prefer to have Norman Powell or even a couple of these other names that we're going to talk about. Harry Giles is the next name on my list. He's been playing well for Sacramento, and that, too, is tied to the health of other guys. Rashawn Holmes, if he happens to make his way back onto the court at any point this season, that blows up whatever Harry Giles is doing. It's also worth noting that Giles, for all his athleticism and the fact that he has been putting the ball in the hoop over the last week, he's still actually ranked outside the top 100 on averages of 15 and 10 with two assists and 60% shooting over that stretch because, one, he's not a great foul shooter, and two, and this is the one that actually surprised me because I figured, oh, this is a really interesting guy. I went in looking to go pick him up in a few spots, and then I dug a little bit deeper, and what I found out is that his defensive stats, at least in this young era, and obviously he's, he's, he's a kid still. This is his second season in the league. He was drafted, what, 2017? Born in 98? He's a young fella right now. He hasn't collected that many steals or blocks to this point. That doesn't mean that he won't in either the near or the distant future because he's so young that these things, that we don't really know what he is yet. But what we've seen here is since his minutes have trended up, he only has three blocks over his last seven ball games. That's kind of since they've been giving him a little bit of a longer leash. The rebounds have obviously trended up. The scoring has trended up because when you're on the floor more, you just get to collect more of that stuff. But again, the thing that hasn't, the defensive stats. And I truly, I know this is, this is my job over here, I truly don't know if they will. I really don't know. So if you're picking him up, it's got to be for points and rebounds. You have to sort of understand and field goal percent that there's a chance he's just not going to steal or block many shots. He might not be a massive defensive menace, at least from a counting category perspective. We don't know. Also wanted to mention Kent Bazemore, who ended up having a bad ball game his last time out after a number of good ones in a row. And this is the risk. I love Kent Bazemore, and I still would advise picking him up in, in most situations. But he was cold in their game against Oklahoma City. So this, this shot wasn't dropping. He didn't get any steals and blocks. My honest-to-goodness hope is that, and those games are going to pop up for him every once in a while, it's, it's worth noting that his higher minute counts lately have come in games where the shot's been falling. We haven't actually seen him play a truckload of minutes in the games where he's struggling from the field. For whatever reason, when the shot isn't dropping for him, they go another direction. So there's a little bit of a hot hand thing happening here. He only played 18 minutes on Thursday, still had 7-5-3, and three, which honestly, if there were steals and blocks in that, you could still call it a, a marginal success. I still think he's worth using, but we're learning a little bit more about how the Kings are planning on deploying him, and this is going to cap his ceiling because for every hot game, there's going to be a cold one, and that might just pull him from the ball, from the floor. His minutes might just be 18-20 to 20 when, he's not, when he's not playing as well. The non-guaranteed minutes of a decent bench player. That's what we deal with in the NBA all the time. It's why you prefer to have a guy in the starting lineup most of the time. Just easier to get minutes. Shabazz Napier is another guy on my list. He moved into the starting lineup, and it's a nice segue here because it does mean that his minutes are a little bit easier to come by. 
and this is another one where I feel pretty strongly we want to pay attention to what comes next for Napier. Off the bench, he played 36 minutes in the Wizards' loss to the Bucks. Had 27 points, 4 boards, 7 assists, 2 steals. Two days later, on Wednesday, he played 24 minutes as a starter. Now, it's also worth noting that he was in foul trouble in this game. He played the first three minutes, and then they had to yank him. So his minutes came heavily in the second half. To me, that's a good sign that he still got up to 24 minutes, even though he only played a handful in the first half. What did he do? I think he played 10 minutes in the first half, so he played 14 after the break. If he ends up with 14 minutes in each half going forward at 28 minutes a game in that offense, he's a must-own guy. Not to mention the fact he took 15 damn shots in that ball game. That's way higher usage than I would have expected out of Shabazz Napier on almost any team. But it's looking more, you know, when he was the starting point guard for Minnesota, he, to me, looked like an assists, steals, and free throw percent specialist. A good foul, good foul shooter going to generally kill you in field goal percent. With Washington, there's a chance he might actually score enough to be fantasy relevant, too, just because they take a billion shots a night. It's just a pace thing. You know, Vegas sets the totals on Wizards game high for a reason. They, they have high-scoring games. They don't defend anybody, and they run all the time. So if all of a sudden he's now more than just steals, assists, and free throw percent, if it steals, assists, free throw percent, maybe some threes and some points as well, then you're talking about five categories. We've talked about this before. Five categories is good enough. I've added him in a lot of places as well. Not everywhere. There are some spots where I don't want to hurt my field goal percent. I don't need the free throw percent. Wipes out two of, you know, in a category that I need, he's not good at. He's going to hurt me, so that's a negative. And then a category I'm already good at, he's good at. That's superfluous. But I like Napier. and He's another guy that I think I'd probably rather have over these other names we've been talking about because as a starter... There's staying power. There really isn't anybody coming for his minutes if he continues to improve and push himself out in front of Ish Smith, which is what appears is happening, at least for now. He's got a nice path. I'm taking too long on each of these guys, huh? We're never going to get to everything. Here's a quick one. Steph Curry, who may or may not be back this weekend. Originally, they said March 1st. Then Steve Kerr came out and said, well, he's going to have to scribbage a few times first. I am bringing him up for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think he actually makes Draymond Green better, which is not, this isn't a hot take by any stretch. It's just, you know, Dre getting himself ejected. He clearly wants nothing to do with this rebuild season. Get Steph out on the floor and make life fun again, and you might see Dre actually play a, a few decent ball games just, just to go out there and enjoy himself for a few days. You might also see Andrew Wiggins play some better ball games because, we, you know, you, you hear this word thrown about, gravity. Steph Curry brings defenders toward him by being as incredible as he is at basketball, that's going to free other people up. Klay Thompson has that same ability because he can space the floor so much. Things just open up when those guys are out there, and that will be helpful for Andrew Wiggins, who's more effective when he is either A, wide open from three-point land, or able to get to the rim. Those mid-rangers are what kills him. Uncluster the defense, and a lot of guys get better. Meanwhile, 
The only guy who doesn't really seem threatened by all of this is Marquise Chris. Locked into that center spot, and anytime they're in a competitive ballgame, he's going to play 24 to 30 minutes. Love it. Everybody else is in real trouble. The Charlotte Hornets are a team that I have, for the most part, refrained from discussing on this podcast because I, I generally despise their fantasy values. Some of the guys on that team have played well enough, long enough, where even the bad stretches are they're sort of hanging on. Terry Rozier would be the one name I think you could lob out there. He's still number 75 through the ups and the downs this year. Devontae Graham has fallen back to number 86, which, by the way, hard to do when you're averaging 18-8 and eight with a steal and three-and-a-half three-pointers, but he's been that bad with field goal percent. He's been such a massive negative in field goal percent that the good work he's doing everybody else, he's as bad in field goal percent as Montrez Harrell is in free throws. Same negative impact. He is the worst field goal percent negative impact player in the entire NBA, and there almost isn't anybody in his ballpark. In fact, at a glance, I'm trying to figure out who would be second worst in that, and I think it might be Marcus Smart, who's shooting 38% on 11 shots a game. I think it's Marcus Smart. Devontae Graham is shooting 37% on 15 shots a night. Terrence Ross has been pretty terrible in that one, too. Terrence Ross, Marcus Smart, Torian Prince, Dylan Brooks, these are your other names of guys that are hitting you in the gut in field goal percent. And most of those guys are half as bad. Oh, you know who's actually the second worst? Reggie Jackson, and the third worst is Karis LeVert. That surprised me. That's inside the top 215. So if there's somebody worse, they're outside the top 215, and my list doesn't go that far. Suffice it to say that while I do hate what Charlotte's been doing, they have also done something a little bit weird lately. And that is rotating starting centers and rotating centers getting DNPs. Cody Zeller is sitting out back-to-backs now. And on the other side, Bismack Biombo, who's still riding the strings of one of the worst contracts ever given out, has slid into a more traditional reserve pocket behind Zeller. There was a stretch where those guys were splitting minutes. There was a stretch where those guys were splitting like 30 minutes and someone else was just slotting in and playing center. There was a stretch where Willie Hernan Gomez was seeing the floor consistently. It seems like lately, and perhaps some of that is the the competition. I don't know that you can necessarily say that for sure, though, because... You know, they play the Knicks in there, which they don't have a what you call a traditional center that forces another team to put a giant dude on the floor. Indiana does. Demonis Sabonis forces you to go big. Brooklyn, not really. I mean, Jared Allen, DeAndre Jordan, those guys are big dudes, but they're not offensive forces. Chicago doesn't have any center right now. Minnesota, they played. That team didn't have a center when they played. Nas Reed, I mean, it, listen. The point I'm trying to make here is the thing that's held Cody Zeller back all season long is the fact that he's only playing 23 minutes a game because of all this weird crap that's been going on. Also kind of a low free throw percent this year that took a tiny step backwards. If all of a sudden they're just going to say, you know what, when you're healthy, Cody, you're going to be our starting center and you're going to play 26, 27 minutes a game, he could actually be a top 125 guy and give you good field goal percent 
usually more steals than blocks for Cody over his career, and a few rebounds. Are any of these guys must-own dudes? No. But what you can also plan for is if you look at Charlotte's upcoming schedule and try to figure out when the next back-to-back is, by the way, hint, it's not for a couple of weeks, you might be able to pick up a Bismack streamer game. I mean, that's a that's more of a Roto Games Cap type move. If you look ahead, you think, all right, Zeller's going to sit one of these two. I'm going to pick up Bismack for the game where he gets to play 30 minutes once every two weeks and gives me a double-double with two to three blocks. This is how you have to start planning. If that's a category where you can gain ground in Roto, getting two or three blocks out of a guy that might have been a zero-block guy otherwise, that could be the difference in a point. You can make one key sub out of 820 games you got to use up. You could make one key game for two or three extra blocks and might win you the league. Just be aware of these things. None of these guys is a guy you need to use every night, by the way. We didn't really talk a whole lot about the Kelly Oubre fallout. Oh boy, we're already at the 30-minute mark. This is... What am I doing here? I'm trickling along at a snail pace. Why haven't we talked much about the Kelly Oubre torn meniscus fallout? Well, because you pretty much can't do anything at this point. You're most likely sitting on Oubre because meniscus injuries, it could be three weeks, it could be five, he could be out for the season. I don't think you can drop him yet. Almost definitely not going to be back for the playoffs, so you're in a little bit of trouble there. And also, what it seems to have done here is move Dario Saric into the starting lineup, he's not going to do enough to be relevant, not with the other guys around him in Rubio, Aiton, and Booker. Those guys are going to soak up all the usage in the first unit. Mikhail Bridges is going to soak up all the wing goodies, steals, blocks, three-pointers, that type of stuff. And it's just going to be those four guys. Everybody's like, should I pick up Cam Johnson or Dario Saric? The answer is no. Neither of them. You don't need it. Let's talk for a second about Jay Crowder, who we did actually cover earlier this week and how he's now inside the top 100 for the season despite shooting 38% from the field. So he's another negative field goal percent guy. He is dramatically underowned considering how good he's been lately. That surprises me because he was even scoring in Miami, and that's not even what you expect out of the dude. The steals are very high, but here's the other note on Crowder. The minutes are high. Higher than I would have expected by a, a pretty good chunk, actually. I didn't, I didn't think he was going to be playing this many minutes in Miami, not with all those guys around. The one thing I'm concerned about is a potential turn of return of Tyler Hero. But I get the feeling in watching how they're deploying their assets in Miami right now that they really want Crowder in there. Toughness, defense, you can call it floor spacing. He hasn't been a particularly good by percentages, three-point shooter this year or really any year since since Boston. Uh, but his steals are up with Miami. And if he's really going to play 30 minutes with this team, he's going to probably get enough stuff to be fantasy relevant. Is he going to be as good as he's been? No, not a chance. I mean, he's number 27 over the last month on averages of 14, 6.5 83% foul shooting, that's not sustainable for him. Less than a turnover, two and a half threes, almost two steals a game. Considering that that's now, I mean, you're talking about a month of basketball that he's been a top 30 guy, and he's still only 46% owned. That surprises the heck out of me. 
The wheels could fall off. They probably will. Honestly, they probably will fall off at a moment's notice, too. When you least expect it, off they go. And yet, I find it hard to make an argument not to have him on your team if you need the stats he's good in. And there's a couple of them right now. He's also doing enough rebounding to be fantasy relevant. All right, enough about Jay Crowder. Uh, Memphis. Let's go to Memphis. Because Gorgie Jang had a terrible first game in, in Gorgie's stream sensation time. And a lot of that was because of the competition. They were going up against the small ball Houston Rockets. I'm actually... I feel gratified that he managed to salvage his game. Because frankly, most of the team didn't. At least he had a steal and a block in that thing and made four out of his seven shots from the field. It could have been even worse. They're playing Sacramento next, then the Lakers and the Hawks and the Nets and the Mavs. Everything's going to be a little bit more normal. And to me, as long as Brandon Clark and, and Jaron Jackson Jr. are out, Jenks going to have to play probably 24 to 26 minutes a game. I don't know how he does it. This is one where they just couldn't they couldn't possibly play him and Jonas Valanciunas on the floor or Jonas Valanciunas at the same time because Houston is way too small and there were stretches where they really almost couldn't play either of those guys. So, yeah, sure, his minutes were down. They'll be back up again in the next one. Fairly certain they'll be higher tonight, Friday night, in Sacramento or against Sacramento at home. And this is a team that badly needs a victory, too. They lost to Sacramento a week ago on the road by four, and they lost the Lakers by 12, to the Clippers by almost 30, to the Rockets by almost 30. It's been a rough go post-All-Star break for the Grizzlies. They haven't won since the break. This, this one feels like one where they could sneak one away. And boy, do they need it. What am I doing with guys like Slow-Mo and Josh Jackson? Probably leaving them alone, although if you need what Kyle Anderson brings to the table, you could consider it. I wouldn't totally write him off, but he's just not going to score. So you need a low-volume field goal percent guy, someone that helps you just the tiniest bit there, maybe helps you a little bit in rebounding and assists and maybe steals. I mean, maybe okay in four categories. That's not really what I'm hunting for. Even from a specialist standpoint, that's not really quite enough. I'm going to jump over the Houston Wings as a quick one. I think I'm settling into the world of none of these guys is worth owning. Now that they brought in Damari Carroll and Jeff Green, that's taking minutes away from Daniel House and P.J. Tucker. Eric Gordon, when healthy, takes minutes away from those dudes. Ben McLemore, when healthy, takes minutes away from those dudes. There's just not enough, and it's going to go to the, the guy who's running a little bit hotter. Daniel House is the closest of the bunch, but I think you can find better right now on the waiver wire. And I don't know that any of them is on Atlanta. I've been harping about this for a long time. Uh, uh, believe, unbelievably, Cam Reddish is actually the guy lately that's been the best of those three. But between Reddish, Herter, and Hunter, as I've said before, and I'll say it again, I wouldn't be surprised if none of those guys has top 100 value the rest of the season. Would I say you need to drop all three? You know, really, I, I'm okay with it. Reddish strikes me as a keeper type. Hunter, not really any type yet. Herder, more of a facilitator. Three-point specialist, like a glorified Luke Kennard these days. I, I don't think you need any of them. 
I don't think any is good, good enough in any one statistical category either to, to say this person warrants being on your team for this purpose. Each of them is just like kind of okay at a bunch of things, but not all that great at any. Reddish has been able to do it lately with a high-volume free-throw shooting that's been very good and steals. I don't know if that's sustainable. Maybe. I mean, his minutes have been up, certainly. He's, he's the guy I guess I'd consider of those three, but I think you could probably drop all three of them. Captain Buzzkill hard at work over here again. And I'm going to buzzkill Minnesota while I'm just killing Buzz on this podcast. I don't think that Nas Reed and James Johnson need to be on a fantasy team either. Reed's not blocking shots. Johnson's not getting enough minutes. He's closer, honestly. His, his game has been more well-rounded in Minnesota. He's been able to do enough in more limited work, more like 22, 23 minutes a game, putting up some fairly well-rounded fantasy lines, but the minutes are low. Can we count on that holding long-term? I would count on that over I would count on a, a big Nas Reed explosion. I keep flip-flopping between these two guys, and it makes me think maybe I should just not even bother. You're going to have to catch lightning in a bottle when one guy gets the big minute game. See if you can catch James Johnson on the game where he plays 27 minutes instead of 21. See if you can catch Nas Reed on the game where he gets 28 minutes instead of 19. Johnson's got the more interesting fantasy game. Blocks, steals, rebounds, assists, sometimes threes. Sometimes the percentages are okay. He's been good lately. Last two weeks, he's inside the top 70 with all that well-rounded stuff. So Johnson would be the one I would take on that team. And, but again, I don't know that you need to do either of them. Kobe White, just waiting to see when the wheels come off of this one. Could be tonight. Get excited. Dan's ready to eat his hat again. Wait, they don't play tonight. Apologies. Can't be tonight. Could be over the weekend. They're in New York on Saturday, so you might actually have another big ball game there. Something's going to come apart. The hot shooting is going to come apart. Just you know, ride it while you can, but I'm not doing anything with it. Points League... Maybe a little bit interesting there. And the last thing I wanted to talk about is the Cleveland Cavaliers because Andre Drummond has already been ruled out. Which means our guy Larry Nance gets to keep on rumbling and the team just looks better when Nance is on the floor. Colin Sexton looks better when Nance is on the floor. I don't trust Darius Garland and I still don't trust Kevin Porter. Not yet. We haven't seen that there's enough... As Brew likes to say, meat on the bone for those guys. Is there enough for them to do on this team yet? Hey, I know we used to break down all of these games from a betting standpoint as well. We've been leaving that to the experts over at Hoopball Gaming. And when you do check that out, by the way, check out Friday's episode of uh, Today in Sports Betting over at, at Hoopball Gaming. It's a, it's a fantastic episode. Josh Millman, Devin Ellington get into the NBA card for tonight, Friday night mid-majors college basketball, and baseball futures. They're hitting it all, man. You got to follow at Hoopball Gaming. And when you tail those guys, make sure to do it with our, with our buddies over at mybookie.ag. You know the drill. The promo code is the word TODAY, T-O-D-A-Y. You get a 50% deposit bonus, meaning they will match your deposit at a 50% clip. If you put in 200, they'll put in 100 if you put in 500, they'll put in 250, up to a thousand dollars in bonus. So if you deposit two grand, they'll give you a grand. Anything over that, you still get the grand. 50% deposit bonus with promo code today. I went through the sign up process myself. I did it 
a couple months ago, actually. You can even put in what podcast you were listening to if you want to get super specific. So feel free to do that if you like. MyBookie.ag has the fastest payouts, best promos, and this is arguably the most important part. I don't want to gloss over this. 24-7 customer service. I have heard from multiple hoop ballers that they utilized this customer service and they were floored at how good they were. For so many reasons, just took care with it. And actually, Aaron Bruski, our founder over here, utilized their customer service and was really impressed with it. So get those good odds, get those fast payouts, mybookie.ag, promo code again, T-O-D-A-Y. Get the 50% bonus and then tail the guys at Hoopball Gaming. Win some money with it. Don't lose it straight away. And don't worry, man. My bookie doesn't care if you're winning. They want you to win. It's great when things are happening. So go take some money from our buddies over at mybookie.ag. By the way, hint, hint, it doesn't work that way. You're taking the money from basically the folks betting on the opposite side. You guys want to talk about betting theory? We can do that on a show coming up, but uh, not today. Again, that's mybookie.ag. Promo code is T-O-D-A-Y. Weekend preview time. Starting tonight, Minnesota is at Orlando. That's the only game, actually, starting at 7 p.m. Eastern. There's some 7.30s, but kind of interesting that there's only one on the, the front end of the weekend tip fest. Minnesota, we just talked about Nas Reed and James Johnson. Those are the two things you're paying most of your attention to. And Orlando is a team we don't really care about at all. Brooklyn is interesting for... To me, one main reason, I know Karis Levert's been running a little bit hot in the last couple of ball games. Well, one ball game, sorry. He's scoring plenty. The steals have been a lot higher, which is a really good thing for him, and that's floating his value because over the last month, he's actually number 57, despite both percentages being bad. Free throw has been a little bit better lately, but the field goal is always going to hurt you. He is a prime, prime points league guy. I don't know that the two steals per game can keep up. He's been going nuts in that regard. He's had four steals or more in three of his last five ball games. But you know what? They've kind of given him the keys here with Kyrie out, even over Spencer Dinwiddie. And this is an opportunity to, I would say, sell high. I mean, if you can get something else in that 60 to 70 range, you do it absolutely. Because he's going to have a lot of trouble getting any higher than that because of the percentages. They're always going to weigh him down. Same deal with the turnovers. He has an anchor. He has three anchors on his value. When the other stuff is colossal, as it has been lately, that's when you got to cash in. And also, DeAndre Jordan has been kind of an interesting story lately. He's been able to push his fantasy value for the year into the 110 range. He's been seeing a lot of minutes. His minutes have been trending up late in the year, starting like about two or three games before the All-Star break. 29, 28, 23, 37... 2022 20, and 30. That was kind of flipped the other way with he and Jared Allen for the longest time. But DJ's been rebounding like a monster, and he's inside the top 100 over the last couple of weeks. So that was, I thought, interesting. That, by the way, is without blocking any shots over his last four games. He's doing it without defensive stats. Heaven forbid he accidentally falls into a block or two. He's shooting 70%, uh, 77% free throw in that stretch and 66 from the field, which is always going to be really good. He's sort of quietly become a decent fantasy value here late in the year. 
Atlanta, you're mostly watching those three, the three-headed monster we just talked about a few minutes ago. Charlotte, I mean, is Cody Zeller really going to be the starting center again? Are they going to go more traditional here at the end of the year? Toronto, let's see if Norman Powell's playing. Dallas, I, I can't even deal with them anymore. Miami, you're watching Jay Crowder. How does Jimmy Butler look? Seems fine. Bam Adebayo, how does Duncan Robinson look? But mostly Crowder at this point. See if he can keep up the high steals rate. We know he can't keep up the high field goal percent rate, but maybe the steals can stay up here for a few weeks in a row. Sacramento, Kent Bazemore, Harry Giles, those are the two things you're keeping an eye on. Memphis, Gorgie Jang, any other fallout from the loss of all of their power forwards. Cleveland, we already talked about them just a second ago, but Larry Nance has been great. Sexton's been better with no Drummond on the floor. Can anybody else get over the hump? Nothing really that I care about with New Orleans. Oklahoma City, they're a non-story. Same with Milwaukee. Ooh, I love it when we get to just blitz through teams that don't have anything going on. Washington does. I'm really, I'm, I'm frightfully high on Shabazz Napier right now. I think he's being vastly underrated by the fantasy community. I think this is a really interesting opportunity, and I know he pooped himself in his first start, but foul trouble and bad shooting both coming together on the same night created this weird value vacuum where he got dropped by a lot of people that were like, oh, outstanding, he's starting now, he's going to go big, and then he went little, and now he's, he's on waivers probably everywhere. I have, I, he's on waivers in like half of the leagues I'm in, debating whether or not to use my priority on him. I don't know. We'll see. Utah, mostly just who the hell's starting. Get it, get it together, Jazz. Detroit, we really didn't talk about at all because they're horrible, but Derrick Rose seems to be doing enough to have fantasy value. Same with Christian Wood. It's looking like that might really be the only two since they're going gentle with Bruce Brown. He would have been the other one, and we haven't heard anything about a Luke Kennard return in a couple of weeks now, so let's just assume that you know maybe it's in a week or two. Maybe it's next week, late next week, and even then it's going to be a slow return for him, so you're looking at probably two to three weeks before he's at any kind of fantasy value, if I had to guess. But that said, we've seen that this team desperately needs anyone that can create a shot. Their offense is miserable. And if you're willing to, I don't know if he's going to be back for your fantasy playoffs or, or back to full strength, but he's a guy that you should consider sitting on as a possible decent scorer here coming up. And probably not that heavily owned in your fantasy leagues. He got picked up and dropped and picked up and dropped a thousand times over the last few weeks with different reports on him. But he could give you a, a nice shot in the arm in the scoring three-pointers and efficiency departments. And you might even see some passing out of him because they're just, you know, it's just he and Derrick Rose. It's like the only guys that are creating anything on that team right now. It's all about usage for Kennard. When Blake Griffin was out early in the year, he had usage. When Blake came back, he didn't have usage, and that's why he's number 100 in 33 minutes a game. He was seeing plenty of time. He's not going to get any steals. He's sort of J.J. Redick-like in the same way that Redick needs Ingram or Holiday to be out to get enough usage to be fantasy relevant. Kennard has a path right now. He could come back and take 13 or 14 shots a game instead of 10 or 11. That's the difference between him being outside the top 100 and being inside of it. Three or four shots a game. He needs to be able to score because the other stuff just isn't going to be that big. 
I lost track of what I was doing. Phoenix, I think we kind of know what's going on there. Denver, they're mostly healthy now. I think you'll see more Paul Millsap than Jeremy Grant. I know that flip-flopped in the last ball game, but it'll likely come back to normal. And then with the Clippers, the only thing to to really monitor is the the minutes limits for Paul George and Patrick Beverly. They're slowly ramping up. I would start Paul George at this point. I would probably sit on Beverly for one more game. I need to see him get up into those high 20s. And that might happen in this one. And if it does, then you can feel pretty confident it'll happen again in the next one. Saturday, Chicago is at New York. You know, you can watch Kobe White, I guess. Question is, does anybody else come back for this game? Chicago's a team that should be getting healthy here soon, but still nobody's returned. The Knicks, meh. Brooklyn, Miami, we've talked about. Portland, I don't think we're going to see Dame back for this ball game. I guess there is an outside chance, and if you do, obviously that shakes things up a little bit, but otherwise, they're just going to keep doing what they've been doing. Atlanta, we've talked about. Lakers are a non-story. Memphis, we've talked about. Indy, we saw Oladipo come back after missing just the one game with the back thing. Justin Holiday still had fantasy value, even with Oladipo there. It just won't be quite as high. And so I'm okay if you guys want to drop Holiday for one of these other dudes we've been talking about with a little bit more upside. Holiday's been good, though, all year, really. Quietly, he's been good all year. He's number 106 in 9-cat on the season. Because of three-pointers, because of steals, he's actually gotten some blocks. He never turns the ball over. And he's been extra good lately. 83 over the last four games. Big steals and blocks. It's just hard to see that all of that keeping up if Oladipo doesn't miss any additional time. When, when Depot was out, you thought, all right, well, there's going to be some usage available. He's going to get a few more shots. With Victor back, shot count's probably going to drop. So it's really now all about low turnovers and defensive stats. And some three-pointers. Who would I rather have between guys like Holiday, Ariza, Bazemore, Crowder, all of these guys fall into a similar bucket. I think Ariza is probably my top choice in that group because he's going to play 35 minutes a game. That's the only reason I need. His stuff is always going to level out because he's playing a truckload of minutes. I'll go Crowder next, then Holiday, and then Bazemore is my least, my least favorite of the bunch because his role is really just not set in stone the way the other guys do have that set in stone function. And then if you throw Norman Powell into the mix, I think I'd put him at the top of the chart, even ahead of Ariza. We were talking about Indiana. Cleveland, we've discussed already. Houston, drop them all. Boston, Kemba out, but expects to be back next week, so that's good. Orlando, we talked about. San Antonio, Aldridge out. He was hoping to be back by the weekend. He is not. That's unfortunate, but at least Memphis keeps losing, so they're not out of the playoff race. Golden State, they're gross, but you know, keep an eye on whether or not Steph is back this weekend overall, and then Phoenix we talked about as well. And I think that's pretty much the teams. I don't know if there's anybody else that we need to discuss. Philly, obviously you're watching Shake Melton. That's a, that's a no-brainer. Anybody else out there? No? I think that was it. That's all 30. So that's your weekend preview edition of Fantasy NBA Today. I know it came out a little bit later on Friday than usual, but you guys are okay. Still got it before the game started. Let's watch all these guys. There's a lot of things going on right now. A lot of these fringy guys to see who can kind of get up and over the hill and some possible interesting stashes that are being overlooked for uh, reasons unknown. Maybe teams that just feel like they need to be streaming hard right now. That's another note, by the way, at the end of this episode. 
people are going to drop players that they shouldn't be at this time of the year. Keep your eye out for those guys. Because everybody's like, should I pick up this guy? I want to pick up this guy. Should I do this? It's like, nah, man. Most of the time, these weird little moves between fringy guys are not going to change anything at all. I know the names I was just rattling off, they all fall into that bucket. It's like, should I drop Jay Crowder for Trevor Reza? Should I drop Trevor Reza for Jay Crowder? It ain't going to matter, dude. They're going to do the same thing. You just have to catch them on the right night. What's the difference? One round of value between the two of them? Between now and the end of the year? What do we think? Ariza, number 95, Crowder, 102, something like that? That's no difference. It's negligible once you get down to that range of rankings. It's not like guys that are seven spots apart, number five versus number 12. It's a massive gap there. 95 to 102, they're the same player. So don't worry too much about those types of things. And also, don't pick up those types of guys thinking they're going to have top 50 upside. If you have someone on your team that could actually get into that realm, that's why you hang on to these guys. It's why we hung on to Larry Nance as long as we did. It's why I'm willing to take a shot on Shabazz Napier. If he somehow walks into 28 to 30 minutes a game and he pushes Ish Smith into more of an exclusive reserve role, Napier could best all of those guys we just talked about. But there's also about a 60 to 80% chance that he ends up mostly just splitting minutes with Ish Smith. And so that's why you're like, well, take a chance on this guy that it might work. Who am I dropping? Ariza, Crowder, Bazemore, something like that? Who cares? Justin Holiday? Who cares? Those types of guys are going to be popping up left and right between now and the end of the year. Go try to find the guy that could make a difference or go stat hunting. That's your other move at this time of the year. Difference makers and stat hunting. All the in-betweeny stuff. It's inconsequential. Have a great weekend, everybody. Back on Monday with Reverse Chronological Lightning Round. I am Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Hey, I forgot to mention, uh, still looking for one more DFS pod voice. One more. If you're big into DFS, which I admit I fully don't understand, if you're big into DFS and you feel comfortable talking about it, hit me up on Twitter, at Dan Bespris, or email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. Uh, like most of our spots here, unpaid, but an opportunity to grow an incredible show and become a serious force in the fantasy landscape, as you've seen. And you're like, how can you be so sure, Dan? Well, because three years ago, when I started this podcast, I had 400 Twitter followers, and now 5,000. So let us throw your weight, let us throw our weight behind you. You can help us grow something really cool together. DFS Pod Voices, hit me up. Have a great weekend, everybody. I will talk to you guys first thing Monday morning. I am Dan Vespers. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. Big thank you again to Josh, Brandon, and mybookie.ag. So long. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.